I know, I know we've been, you know, we've been talking about replacing CJ for a while. Yeah. Welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number 81. I'm laughing about a pancakes comment made right before the show started. I know, I've already got my I've already got my sign off. Pancakes. Pancakes. Um, my name's CJ Schrader. I actually haven't said my name at the opening of a show in a while, but also I have my two beautiful co-hosts. First off, we got Just Dunks. I like pancakes too. Yeah, everyone likes pancakes. Also, we got Brian Perlman. I kind of like waffles. They've got like the little syrup traps in them. Are you being serious right now? Would it matter if I was? Pancakes are the superior option. And don't get me wrong, if I had the diff, if I had the choice between, you know, IHOP or Waffle House, I would go to Waffle House every time. Whoa, but hold on. When it comes down to pancakes or waffles, pancakes are the superior option. I, I question your judgment deciding to go to Awful House. Uh, by, by the way, in the in the sponsored discussion, Waffle House is probably out. What? <laughs> right? Hold this, on. This week's JudgeCast is brought to you by Waffle House. That's that's off air stuff. What's that? We're on it. That's off air stuff. We're on air now. Ah, uh, it was a this joke. Is all, this is all real. It's a joke. Yeah, it's a great joke. Yeah. International House of Pancakes is a new sponsorship of JudgeCast. Oh, I hope so. That would be so awesome. Get the little smiley face. Uh, the little waffle with the with the cherry is the 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 nose or the eyes or something. <laughs> Dude, mouth. we get to get together at like midnight and record in IHOP. Ah, ah, oh, perfect. And oh. I'm like just eating bacon and pancakes <laughs> the whole time. It would it would really have to be. So to answer this question, nom, nom, nom. <laughs> it would have to be it would have to be a Waffle House at 3 a.m. in the morning, uh, being served coffee by some waitress that really doesn't want to be there and is tired of our crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like already we just got the microphone and we're passing it around she just comes over hand on the hip with a pot of coffee and just chewing on whatever a cigarette or whatever just pouring the <laughs> cigarette because we also have a time machine because it's it's waffle house that is a time machine okay okay we need to get started we need to Oh, all right. We I, already started. We're going. I didn't mean to do this, guys. All right. Our main topic today is something that's important, particularly for level ones uh, or people trying to pass the level one test. And, you know, it's probably on the level two test, too. Two headed giant. Wait, did you hear that? What? <laughs> the sound of all the podcasts in the world simultaneously hitting fast forward. Oh, oh, come on. So two headed giant. It's kind of like a it's kind of a boogeyman in, in the judge community, in my opinion. Like people are like, oh, two headed giant. No, but it's really not that bad. And I don't know why people have such concerns about it. I, I've had to run a few two headed giant events um, and it hasn't been that big of a deal. And it is it is actually there's a lot of two headed giant events like they published a few years ago where they put out like the number of sanctioned two headed giant events. And it was staggering the number like there yeah. are there are communities out there that love it. And it's it always gets, you know, side of it at, uh, at uh, you know, Star City Opens and Grand Prix and stuff like that. I mean, they consistently bring in large groups of people. So, I mean, there there is a, a large segment of the population that loves this format. Right. And that's why it's so important to level one test. Yep. And that's why we're going to talk about it. So for people with zero clue what two-headed giant is, I don't think that could happen. But in case there is someone out there, it's basically you have two teams of two players um, on opposite sides of a table, obviously. Uh, they play against each other and they play as a team. Uh, we'll go more into what exactly it means to play as a team. But uh, basically, you know, they share turns, they share life totals, things like that. Think, and think, OK, think Sesame Street. 
Okay. You've okay. got well, you've got you've got that monster with the two heads that like it starts saying like the first half of a word and then the second half of the word and then gradually they say together and it comes in. Think you know, think that. That's you. You are a two headed and actually the the card is the two headed giant of, of Arms are door. Four, four eyes, I think it is. Oh, that's right. It's two headed giant of four eyes. Four eyes. Get his he's got four <laughs> eyes. <laughs> the two headed, you know. But I mean, that's that's exactly what it is. Is you're you're a two headed monster. You know, each head making decisions. Um, it's kind of neat. It's kind of fun, and it's on the test. So we're going to talk about it. So I think we wanted to start with a little bit about the logistics of running a two headed giant tournament, and then move into the. Um, the actual rules for the tournament. Yep. Because Brian had some very important things he wanted to say. I, everything I say is important, CJ. Um, so two-headed giants are typically so so you can have you can have two-headed giant draft. You can have two-headed giant constructed. Eh, both of those. Bleh. <laughs> um, typically, what you're going to see is two-headed giant sealed. Okay, and so what that is is uh, the players sit down, the two, the the team sits down. Um, it's recommended that you get eight packs. So in a normal sealed event, uh, you get uh, six packs. Uh, in a two-headed giant event, you get eight to share between the two of you. There's an exception to that for pre-releases these days. Yeah. Uh, if you are running a pre-release two-headed giant event, each player will get one of the pre-release packs, which each contains six packs. So it's actually 12 pack two-headed giant seal. Is that the, the like the guild packs and the... Yeah. Yeah, they're, they... the Heroes Path packs right now for the Theros block that they're doing, you'll get one of each of those. And, and the word is that Watsi's going to keep doing that style for pre-releases, so that'll probably continue for some time. Do they build individual decks or they still share the pool? They still share the pool. You wow. get some crazy two-headed I was going to say, you could build a great merchant, just crazy deck. Yeah, that was a thing. It was an obnoxious thing. I was about to say, great merchant's really good in uh, Two-Headed Giant. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So that was was something interesting about... um, So one head gets its packs, one head gets its its packs, and that's kind of the pool that you open them all, and now you, you collectively have this big pile of cards, and you build the best two decks. And whatever's left... You know, just like in a normal uh, sealed event, you know, whatever's left is your sideboard. In Two-Headed Giant, whatever's left is y'all's sideboard. Which doesn't usually matter. Right. It usually doesn't because one of you's playing red-white and the other's playing blue-black. But you might really fight over that one artifact. Yeah. Um, well, my point being, as I'm sure we'll get into in a minute, there's only one game in Two-Headed Giant. Like, there's no game two and three to board for. Right, but at the same time, since you're normally playing at regular, um, you've got that whole continuous construction thing. Yeah, but I guess you're right. It being a quote-unquote sideboard doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, so you're, the games that you play uh, uh, are best of one. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see here. Oh well, when you're when you're building when you're building your deck, uh, you have an hour to build your decks. Uh, so after you've you've opened the packs and you've you know wink wink registered your pool if that's necessary for the format that you are running, uh, you get an hour to to, uh, to build your decks. Has anyone actually ever used the full hour? Yeah, I have. That's actually a suggested time frame. Uh, in my experience, fifty minutes is enough time. I start getting people bored at the forty minute mark. Yeah, I'm bored at the thirty minute mark, but <laughs> it says give them. An hour, so I do. Yeah. 
So you you have it's recommended that you get an hour uh, to build and you build with your buddy and you guys can talk and basically you can you can talk and share information with each other like any information that you're allowed to to see you can you can tell tell your buddy about it your 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 other head. Um, so when you sit down to, to play, uh, is there any, is there anything different about getting started with two at a giant? Sure. So you have uh, your team and your opponent's team and you guys sit down to play. Um, the, you guys are going to start at 30 life and whichever team goes first skips their draw step. So it's not, you know, whichever player goes first, it's whichever team. Um, some people don't get that because there's four people in the game. So you're like, well, then you, everyone gets to draw, but no, it's two teams. And uh, something a lot of people don't know about in Two at a Giant, and this is actually part of a team event, I believe, not specifically Two at a Giant, is you get one free mulligan. So one time you get to throw back your cards and draw a brand new seven. Uh, related to mulligans, you also, how they work as a team is you and your teammate say, you know, we choose to say mulligan. Your opponent then chooses, and then everyone takes mulligans at once, uh, just like regular mulligans. Um, when, say, you and your teammate both mulliganed, you can continue mulliganing while your teammate keeps. You just keep going through these rounds of mulligans over and over again until you get there. Basically, when you tap out, like if you say, I'm keeping, and you're, you're, you know, I mean, it's just like anything else. If you decide to keep and everyone else continues to mulligan, you can't, you know, next round jump back in and say, oh, well, now I'll mulligan. Once you tap out, you're, you're, you're keeping. Even, have a, even if your buddy continues to, to mulligan, you know, to, to six, to five, to four. I have a question I don't actually know the answer to, and you might not either. How does a two-headed giant draft actually work? Ooh, ooh, this is fun. <laughs> I love two-headed giant draft. Okay, let me let me actually rephrase that. I love playing in two-headed giant drafts. Um, a two-headed giant draft is each team. You have four teams, so a total of eight players. Okay, is the ideal number of of players. So you have eight players sitting at a table, and they're and they're next to their teammate. And each team will get six packs. They'll open the first pack, and then your team picks two cards from that pack. And then you'll pass left, and then the second pack is right. So it goes left, right, left, right, left, right. Uh, and what what often happens is players will have one amazing deck that they drafted. At about pack five, they realize that they're actually supposed to be building two decks, <laughs> and, and and have like the leftovers piling in. Hmm. That's that's interesting. In in the sh- in the show notes, I wrote I wrote draft WTF. I've <laughs> I've never. Yeah, I was curious. I had no idea how that would work exactly. It's I a actually, lot of fun. I actually started to read the the rules to prepare for this in the MTR and was just like. Eh, uh, Jess will know it. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 actually in a, in a lot of ways we're talking about two headed giant. But here, here's a, here's a secret: when you get told at an event that you're going to go run the two headed giant event, what you're probably going to do is you're probably going to crack open the MTR and scan really quickly the the uh, the two headed giant relevant sections just to make sure you remember everything. I yeah, actually had I was uh, I was the head judge for the Legacy uh, Open in Oakland this last weekend, and we had to run a two-headed giant side event. And I actually called the two-headed giant judge ahead of time to make sure he did that. <laughs> yep. Um, um, there's also an FAQ for two-headed giant, which we will post in the show notes. So, so something that that was kind of was interesting when I ran a two-headed giant event for a Star City event, you know, two, three years ago. Uh, it was the first one that I had done. 
And something that was kind of interesting is uh, Jared Silva, who was up on the stage, he gave me he gave me the box of table numbers and then he gave me two extra tents or two extra. Uh, they were little metal rings that you sometimes use to, to put table numbers up. And he's like, I'm going to give you these and I want you to figure out what they're for. <laughs> <laughs> and I immediately put them on my finger to make like little castanets and just started like clang, 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 clang in his face. And I was like, this is it. And he just kind of looks at me and shakes his head in disappointment. No. Oh. And I was just like, and I just I kept doing it a little too long. <laughs> but you know, like any it's like any joke, if you can if you do it and it stops being funny, if you just keep it up, it becomes funny again. Um, but it was kind of neat because normally when you put the table numbers up there, you put uh, table one, table two right next to each other and you put them, you know, you put them in between table one and table two and then you put three and four over here. And well, when you set up for a two headed giant event, those table numbers actually end up being in the middle of the team of four. I did not figure this out, by the way. I had to be told this. Um, you put it in the middle. You put it in the middle of the team of four. And what happens is, is because it's right in the middle of the play area, players have a tendency to pick that table number up and stick it over to the side. And so when they get up to leave, your table numbers are all now jacked up. So what you so what he gave me the the extra little the little the little tent things for is you actually put the table number for one on the edge. And then you do two and three, you know, uh, you count over two and then you put uh, you put the table for uh, the, the number for two and three between tables two and three and then four and five, six and seven. So you're kind of off by one. But what it does is it creates these little cubes of four with the table number separating them as opposed to having the table number smack dab in the middle. And um, having tried it with out doing that and then with doing that so much nicer so that's a little tech trick <laughs> from me to you i like it <clears throat> so speaking of table numbers uh here's a nice little hit tip if you are the scorekeeper or the head judge for a two-headed giant event that is being run in wizards event reporter like you might be for a pre-release uh it does this thing where it puts you know obviously table one should have four players at it right right mm. right <clears throat> Uh, I actually, no, I think it does it one and two, doesn't it? It does like, you know, two players at one, two players at two. Um, so I don't remember which is which, but seating is one direction. And I should have looked this up before we started the show. Seating, it gives you (laughs) one, one way. And for pairing, it gives you the other way. Oh, cool. Um, so you have a couple of options. The first one is to change your table numbers during deck construction. This option sucks. (laughs) Uh, so don't do it. The second option is to create pairings, print them, cut them in half, and use them as seating. Okay. That way hmm. that way everybody sits down and then you just repair them, like redo the match and pair them again to create new random pairings. Huh. Because DCIR, I, which they'll use at a Star City event, does it right. But with Devet Reporter, not so much. So I, always I test it out. I've never had to do something in War for Two Headed Giant. Yeah, me neither. It's I always just, fun. I just hand it to the person on stage and let them deal with it. <laughs> I just stare at them. Here, here, you, you deal with this. I don't. <laughs> I don't okay. want to. I don't want to. Okay. So, um, so you play your match, and we're going to be talking about the, the rules for that. Um, time gets called. Um, in a normal, uh, you're playing best of one because these games take, oh, if it was best of three, your events would never end. 
um, because your turns take a long, long time. Uh, and as a result, when time is called, instead of five turns that you get in one one v one, you get three turns when time is called. So that's something else to 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 be cognizant of. Three. Um, let's see here. One other one other thing. Never, ever, 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 ever run two headed giant at competitive. This is this is probably the single most important thing, um, uh, because when you run it competitive, uh, certain infractions uh, they don't they don't work so good because there's only one game and you're dealing with two people and eight you know basically it's really easy to have like deck deckless problems. Oh yeah, uh, and those become match losses instead of yeah, uh, or even drawing extra cards. Like one yeah. guy draws one extra card on accident, and that's a match loss. Like yeah. the the thing the thing basically is is it creates a massive amount of overhead. Most of the time, people who are playing two at a giant, they're playing for fun. It's like them and their buddy who's not really into magic, but is <laughs> you know hanging out with the person anyway. So they bring them in, and it's just a way of like two two guys uh, uh, hanging out, having having fun. It's you know players don't always necessarily quite understand how the how the how the rules work. So it's yeah, don't don't run it competitive. If your prize is so high up there that you need to run it competitive, maybe you should consider something other than two headed giant as the format. Don't do it. Team sealed, perhaps. That's fine. That's getting popular. It is getting popular, which we, right. we might at some point have a podcast on that on the future. But yeah, sure. good a giant. No, no, regular, 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 regular. Okay, so we're ready to dive into the rules. Rules. All right, so like I mentioned earlier, use shared turns. Uh, what that means is that if Jess and I were on a team, we would not have separate draw steps or separate combats or anything like that. We, you know, at the beginning of our shared draw step, we both draw a card. At the beginning of our shared combat step, we both or declare attacker step, we both declare our attackers. Um, all the steps and phases are shared. Um, what that also means that is if one of us were to get an extra turn or phase or step, we both get that extra turn, phase or step. And conversely, if one of us has to skip a turn or a step, we both have to skip that step because we are sharing them. You can't have one player <laughs> kind of, yeah. One player skips the draw and the other one gets to draw a card. I don't know. It's just yeah. too weird. You're yeah. sharing it. Yeah. Your one head doesn't take a nap while the other one is doing yeah. stuff. Uh, uh, the other things you share are your life totals and poison counters for the formats where that matters. So like I said, you start off 30 life and you need 15 poison counters to lose the game. I believe they made that change after Scars of Mirrodin had been out for a while. They, they the made it in the middle of uh, Mirrodin Besieged, actually. Okay, okay. Uh, I, I know this because they had, at the time of GP Denver, they had announced the change but not enacted it yet. So I got to play in one of the last two HG events where... 10 poison killed your opponent with scars of mirrored and mirrored besieged sealed yeah and it was amazing you're just like all right so you play infect and i'll play proliferate and we'll just wreck everybody oh yeah wow i can and it used to be uh 40 life as well but what happened was is aggro decks didn't they wanted aggro decks to be more relevant uh so they bumped it down to 30 yeah it's real easy for a game of two a giant to get stalled out yeah and I mean, these 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 changes are you'll find a lot of people who are like, you know, around and, and they don't really remember. The, it's like, is it 40 or 30? I don't remember which and how much poison. 
Fortunately, it's normally whatever format is is you know whatever the uh, the set is that's out right now because it's it's typically sealed. Yeah, Ugh, constructed to it a giant. Bleh. So that's everything Pancakes. shared. <laughs> uh, and what don't you share is almost everything. Like basically, only the things I just said are what's shared. Even though you're you're a, a singular giant, but uh, your creatures. Like your creatures are your creatures. So if you have a zombie lord out that says zombies you control get plus one plus one, well, that's only going to affect your zombies, not your teammates' zombies. Um, if something says, you know, draw two cards, that's only you being told to do that. It's not your whole team. Yep. Um, if something says each player gains, oh wait, I'm sorry, says gain life equal to the cards in hand. Once again, you have a certain amount of cards in hand, not your teammate combined. Uh, and the, the opposite of that is something like exalted. Okay. And it says whenever, whenever, you know, whenever, uh, this creature attacks alone or whenever a creature attacks alone, it gets, uh, plus one, plus one. Well, if head one, you know, sends a dude forward and head two sends a dude forward, well, neither one of those guys are attacking alone, right? So there's, yeah. there's, so you, you kind of look like this, you this works, this works, this works beneficially for battalion though. I would say, I think battalion works really well for you though. Yes. Battalion does work very well. Um, so that's, so that's one of the things when, when the card says you, it means just you. When it says when it when it looks at like the number of attacking creatures or that kind of thing, then it's taking into uh, account both players. Okay, when it's just when it's just looking at you know the number of attacking creatures. Well, how many creatures are attacking? Okay, well I think that's about it for that portion. I'm ready to move into combat. How about you guys? Sure. Combat is where I feel like the majority of complications with two-headed giant come from. Like, I think people kind of get the the shared turns. Maybe they don't get the control effects. Uh, oh, we should we should talk a little bit about, you know, things that affect each player. Um, in that case, okay. you know, anything that affects each player, even though you're one team with, quote unquote, two heads, you are everyone's individual player. So if something said each player loses two life, um, your opponents as a team would lose four life because they have two players and you would also lose four life because you also have two players. Right. And uh, so like earlier, we mentioned uh, Gray Merchant, which has what each opponent lose life equal to your devotion to black, I think. Yep. This is, is right? an interesting one that works both ways with with Gray Merchant. Yeah, because it is. each opponent loses that much life, but your devotion is still only your permanence. Right. It doesn't count your opponent's black mana symbols. I'm sorry, your teammates black mana symbols when it determines whether or not you're looking at uh or what determines what your devotion is, but it does make each opponent lose that much life. Right. So say you play a great merchant on an empty battlefield, and uh, so your opponents are each going to lose two life because he has two black in his mana cost. Um, so they each lose two life, and then it says you gain life equal to life lost this way. So they lost a total of four life, so you gain four life. Since you have a shared life total, your team's life total will go up by four. Yep. You were the one that gained life, though. Yeah, that's true. If you have anything that triggers on you gaining life. Okay, combat. What's that? What's what's up with the cat? Who's cat? Is that your is that, CJ? You can hear him. I've been <laughs> hearing him, man. It's a, he sounds like a fancy cat. He does he's, sound like a fancy cat. Yeah, he's fancy. He's staring at me. <laughs> do, you need, do you need to go feed your cat? No, they'll be fine. He'll get over it. They, they. There's more yeah, than got, one. I got three cats. Oh, cat lady. I need four, and then I can have two-headed giant combat with him. <laughs> what? 
What? I'm just trying to get back on topic. All right. All right. So, yeah. How, explain how attacking works. Just explain it. Okay. Um, so you are declaring your creatures attacking as a group. Uh, so when the declare attacker step begins, the active team gets to say what's attacking. Um, if a creature is not able to attack uh, one of the one of the defending players, then it can't attack the team. So, like uh, one of the one of the examples is uh, 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 Teferi's moat. I guess is the is the is the famous example. So Teferi's moat says, as Teferi's moat comes into play, choose a color. Uh, creatures of the chosen color with uh, without flying can't attack you. Okay, so um, if Teferi's moats out, it's naming blue. Uh, my blue creatures uh, can't attack. Even I can't say like, like oh, well, I'm going to attack the guy without the Teferi's moat. Uh, conversely, uh, land walk abilities. Well, that's actually when we get into the declare blockers. Act. Yeah, right. I don't worry about that yet. So um, yes. A question that comes up a lot in Do That a Giant, and for me, it it's most famously shown in the swords cycle. So I'm going to talk about those. Um, but like, let's say Sword of Feast and Famine. As an example, it says whenever creature equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, that player discards a card and you untap all lands you control. We haven't gotten to actually dealing damage. Yeah, this actually isn't a great example. Well, it will be when we get there. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Okay. But we're coming back to that one. Right. So, so when you, when you declare attackers, okay, you are, you are basically just pushing, pushing your dudes forward and saying, these guys are attacking. You, you say, you say, uh, uh, or which planeswalker they're attacking. Okay. Um, you push your guys, you push your guys forward, uh, as a team. Um, now if any effects care about, uh, um, who you're attacking, you kind of make the decision when it becomes relevant as we're going to, as we're going to see when we get into declare blockers and, and combat damage and stuff. like yeah, that. Yeah. That, that's what I was trying to touch on, but I was like, no, this actually isn't a good card for it. Yeah. So here, here's one of the interesting things. So if I attack, okay, I think what was, what was the, is it circle of flame? I think was a, was a card that, that came up a lot. Circle of flame. So circle of flame was in magic 2012. It was an enchantment that said, whenever a creature without flying attacks you or a planeswalker you control, Circle of Flame deals one damage to that creature. Okay. So um, uh, Jess and I are on a team playing against CJ and his cat. Okay. <laughs> CJ's his name is cat. Milkshake. What's that? His name is Milkshake. Milkshake. Okay. Milkshake has. Is it really Milkshake? Yeah. The one you heard me on, that's Milkshake. You are. <laughs> what is. Um, so Milkshake has a circle of flame out. Uh, Just Dunks and I both have, uh, Lana War Elves. Okay. We Which have not... to attack because Milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. I hate you so much. <laughs> so we attack and we both go, it's like, oh, well, we're going to attack CJ because CJ doesn't have the circle of flame. So we both push our push our uh, our Lenore elves forward and milkshake goes row, row, which is cat for trigger trigger <laughs> and he pushes his little paw he like he like reaches over with his cat claws and just scratches up our uh, our Lenore elves but since it's a kitchen table game nothing nothing bad happens but okay. yeah so that is even though we're like oh no 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 we're attacking CJ no you're attacking the team both of you are both CJ and the and milkshake 
Jeez, I can't take that seriously, man. Um, our, Would you uh, like my other cat's names? Would it help you? Yes, oh, yes, it would definitely yes. help. It's a uh, battle cat <laughs> and bitty kitty. Bitty kitty. Yeah, bitty kitty. She's a nitty bitty kitty. <laughs> battle cat. And nitty Thank kitty. you. That helps immensely. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be okay. <laughs> Well, what happens? What happens if I hit milkshake or bitty kitty with a hypnotic specter? <laughs> bitty kitty with a hippie. <laughs> okay, calm down now. Let's all calm down. So, hypnotic specter reads: Whenever hypnotic specter deals damage to an opponent, that player discards a card at random. See, that's that's another one like the sword of feast and famine. We'll get we'll get to that pretty soon because that okay. one works a little differently. Okay, so we're gonna put on the shelf hitting bitty kitty with a hippie. Yes, that's correct. We'll get bitty to that. Bitty will be hit with a hippie later. We'll get to that. Stop! In a bit. I can't come off. I can't come off you while you guys are doing that. Stop. <laughs> You all right? Okay. You're going to make it? All right. It's time for declare blockers. <laughs> Bitty Kitty will be unable to block the hippie. <laughs> Did you mute? Are you having such a hard time with this that you muted your microphone? I'm going to take that as a yes. Maybe. <laughs> all right. Declare blockers. So the defending team blocks as a group basically exact same as attackers um because you're attacking a team and blocking as a team you know like we said there's no milkshakes attacking jess or anything like that so sorry i lost that a little bit there um so you know you block as a team so if i have a guy with flying you know i can block any of the attackers with flying or without flying of course uh it doesn't matter which players actually controlled which creatures because you're blocking as a team uh, also related to that, though, is what we started to touch on is why like creatures with Landwalk are really good. Because if Milkshake has an island out and I don't have any islands and a creature with Island Walk attacks us as a team, well, neither one of us can block because we block as a team and that uh, that creature with Island Walk looks for islands. And since my teammate has an island, oh, well, it can't be blocked. It can't be blocked. Um, one of one of the other things is in the in the combat episode we talked about it, uh, uh, restrictions uh, and requirements. Uh, so the restrictions uh, and requirements are are kind of met and satisfied as as a team, uh, provided that the ability allows it. So if it says like this creature can't attack or can't block alone. And I've only got one, and Milkshake only has his one creature, but CJ has a creature. Well, then they can both block because uh, Milkshake's creature is not blocking alone. Uh, if CJ throws his creature and blocks, also blocks with his creature. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's it for blocking, and then this combat damage. That's where I think people get a little <clears throat> messed up. Um, that's that's where it gets a little. This is where the misconception that you attack specific heads comes into play. So when you're dealing combat damage, if you're dealing combat damage to the defending team, you actually can choose to assign the damage to one of the two heads. You can't assign, you can't split it, but you choose to assign it to one of the two heads. Now, the vast majority of the time, this doesn't matter at all. Most of the time, it's, you don't have to do this. But in the situation where a hippie is attacking Bitty Kitty, well, it, like I said, it reads, whenever Hypnotic Spectre deals damage to an opponent, that player discards a card at random. So basically, you as the attacker who controls Hypnotic Spectre gets to choose who to deal the damage to. So they can choose uh, Bitty Kitty or they can choose his yeah. partner, Battle Cat. And that player will have to discard a card at random. 
Um, and that touches on the same thing as the sword, which reads, whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, that player discards cards and you attack all lands you control. You know, the you in that is always defined, but that player depends on who you choose to deal the combat damage right. to. And there's actually a, a tournament shortcut that says if you don't announce who you're who you're doing that, who you're assigning the damage to or who you're dealing the damage to, it's assumed that you're doing it to the primary head. Well, what's the primary okay. head? Oh, we haven't talked about the primary head. But we are now. Well, sure. Okay, so the primary head. Well, you know, whenever you got two people playing, like Bitty Kitty, <laughs> Bitty Kitty and Milkshake can't they, agree on something. They never get along. <laughs> uh, You're so uh, accurate dude, right now. Okay, they're having a disagreement. It's the it's the cat on the right that's the primary head. And so if they're arguing it, about whether they want to cast enlarge or diminish, <laughs> then I appreciate the joke. <laughs> I do too. That's a funny joke. I own the art for enlarge. Then uh, <laughs> if uh, so, if they're arguing about this, then the primary head gets to choose which of these two they're going to cast. So is the primary head the one like if you were looking at the team, the one on your right or the one on their right? It's it's the team's right. Okay. Okay. So so the so it's assumed that if you swing with one of these creatures that care and you don't say anything, you're hitting the primary head. So if you don't want to hit the primary head, then you need to say so. Again, most of the time, it's not that big of a deal. You just kind of like swing with your hypnotic specter and then go, you discard a card. Well, that's good enough. And then I think I think when you guys touch on this and the other purpose of the primary head is if, if there's a disagreement. Yeah. Primary, just, head, primary head wins. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's combat. Like every everything else works like nor normal magic. Yep. That's really the only tricks you need to know. Um, I want to talk a little bit about winning and losing, although it's pretty simple. Basically, if your head, if your teammate loses, then you also lose, and if your teammate wins, then you also win. And related to that, say one of you has a platinum angel out, and one of you, you know, if you can't lose, then your opponent can't lose, um, and so on and so forth. So you know, if your opponent gets decked, well then. <laughs> You know, mill mill is a strategy is is a legitimate strategy in two headed giant because you can actually just focus on one head and uh, mill them out. And if you mill the one head out, then you milled out the whole team and you win. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. And uh, so, oh yeah. If one if if one player if one player's life total becomes uh, or if the team's life total is zero, okay, you lose. Um. So let's let's talk about uh some of the weirdness with life okay um so if any spell or effects care about life totals they get about your specific life total they get the team's value so if it's something if it's something like you know you gain life equal to your life total you know, and your and your life total is your team's life total is 30 well you're now going to be 60 Way back in the day, it used to be this weird, like, oh, well, you know, half it, and and the primary head is rounded up, and the non-primary head it's rounded down. No, it's none of that. It's just team's life total is what's used. Um, so what that what that means is like, and if your life total becomes ten, then and you're at thirty, well, you just lost. 20 life and your team is now at 10 um so jess you actually had brought up two interesting uh two interesting cards that interact slightly differently 
with regard to life totals and losing life and taking damage and stuff? Let's hit it Yeah. It's a Yeah, I... You're going to have to say the name of that card, though, because I can't. I can't. Can't you speak Korean? I can speak Korean. That's not Korean. Is this close enough? That's... I'm not gonna go there. Um, <laughs> was that USC well, minor? I don't think, let's see. Was this was this printed in Korea? No, it wasn't. I was gonna look it up and tell you what it uh, says. Uh, yeah. So heartless Hiditsugu says heartless hit, tap heartless Hiditsugu deals damage to each player equal to half that player's life total rounded down. So what's the deal with that card, Jess? So uh, the interesting thing about this is that is that it's going to decide. It goes, okay, what is half of? It looks at each player. What is half of your life total? So let's say your team is at full life. You're at thirty life, and uh, you have uh, Bitty Kitty and Milkshake mm-hmm. at, at thirty life. And it goes, what's half of Bitty Kitty's life total? Well, half of Bitty Kitty's life total is fifteen. And then it goes next. Well, what's half of uh, milkshake's life total and half of milkshake's life total is also 15 so now we make each of them lose 15 life and you might go wait doesn't that leave them dead the answer is yes yes it does <laughs> yep heartless Hiditsugu got a lot better uh with the current rules for that yes so if you're, if you're playing if you're playing constructed modern two-headed giant constructed <laughs> then sure heartless Hiditsugu he did the Tsugu. He did Tsugu. All right, but we also got. I didn't look that card up. It's H I D E T S U G U. He did Tsugu or something. Did Tsugu. And he's heartless. I would also like to put Jess. I have a question for you. This is a very serious question. You'll say Bitty Kitty. You'll say Bitty Kitty, but you won't say Bear Cub. <laughs> I'd like the bittiest of cubs. I would so, like you to reconcile that, please. So, for those of you who haven't been listening to the podcast for a while, there's a running joke that every time, every time there was a, a we needed a random creature for uh, for some rules example, I would use Rune Claw Bear or Grizzly Bear. And CJ and Brian, for some reason, decided to use a different creature. And I didn't <laughs> understand the arbitrary reason behind it. And they went, well, because it's cute. It's not arbitrary. And, <laughs> yeah. And so I, I decided that I was always going to use Grizzly Bear or Runeclaw Bear. And that very quickly morphed into me never saying the name of this other creature on the show. And I decided to just run with it and never say the name of this other creature on the show. Um and uh, and it's become kind of a thing now that I never say the name. So it's it's like uh, in how you met your mother. You never really find out what Barney does, right? Or you never sure. you never see what Wilson looks like. Yes, it's kind of like that. <laughs> well, I tried I tried it's to make like, like a I tried to make a a topical a show that's on the air reference, and you didn't get it. I had to go to a show yeah, that's been off that. the air for a decade. I don't have cable um so i really haven't watched i mean i don't have i I don't watch tv unless it's on netflix and and i haven't really gotten into how i met your mother so like uh i don't like i haven't watched anything that's just a current show probably for several years so we talk about home improvement yeah i watched that as a kid Uh, you talk about how i met your mother and i don't watch that you know home improvement uh segues smoothly into the other card we wanted to talk about havoc festival so Havoc Festival has a trigger and it says at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player loses half of half his or her life rounded up. Oh, so it works just like Heartless. No, no, it doesn't. What? 
No, right? but yeah, it no deals. It, it, it's, it up. it's you're you're losing. Oh, is it different because you're losing life instead of taking damage? Is that what it is? Uh, that's a good guess. But <laughs> no? the reason oh. it's different is because this doesn't happen all at once. This is a triggered ability which triggers twice. It triggers once for each player during the upkeep. Now you only have one upkeep, so during that upkeep, it will trigger once for uh, Bitty Kitty and and once for Milkshake. And it'll make so if you're at thirty life, then it makes Bitty Kitty lose fifteen life, and then it makes Milkshake lose uh, uh, is rounded up, right? So you're gonna lose seven life, sorry, eight life. Eight, yeah, yeah. You lose half life, right? So you lose. Uh, a total of 23 life and go to seven. And there's a very good chance that, that your opponent kills you the next turn. Right. Now, Except they just lost that amount of well, life. The, well, the difference is if you hit them before they lose it, it changes the amount they lose and they won't die. So it gives the player playing Havoc Festival a huge advantage. Oh. Uh, yeah. The, the, other, the other thing that's kind of interesting about this card, Havoc Festival, it says at the beginning of each player's upkeep, which is different than at the beginning of each upkeep. So things that trigger at the beginning of each player's upkeep, since you have two players, they both have upkeeps. I mean, well, it's it's they there is, you know, each player has an upkeep. It's going to trigger twice. OK, if it says at the beginning of each upkeep, well, there's only really one upkeep. So something that says at the beginning of each upkeep is only going to trigger once, uh, which makes what's the what's that card? Luminarch Ascension. Is that what it is? Yeah. Luminarch. I don't know how to spell Luminarch. I don't know how to spell Ascension, so Lumen. maybe we can work together. <laughs> okay, Lu- ah, here we go. Luminarch Ascension says, At the beginning of each opponent's end step, uh, if you didn't lose life this turn, you may put a quest counter on Luminarch Ascension. So that's going to trigger at the at the end step. That's going to trigger twice. So if you didn't lose life, you're going to get two counters. What if only my opponent lost life? My teammate. Uh, let's see here. It will trigger twice if you didn't lose life that turn. Uh, I believe uh, if you took if your team took damage, you didn't lose. You did indeed lose life. So yeah. here's what's interesting. Teams don't take damage. Players take damage, but teams lose life. So whenever you deal damage, it has to be assigned to one of the two players, and then the team will lose life. So if something cares about whether or not you were dealt damage, then your teammate might have been dealt damage without you being dealt damage. But if something cares whether or not you lose life, it doesn't matter who the damage was dealt to, your team lost life. Yeah, that's a, a good distinction. So so if you if, if somebody fireballs you, well, they have to choose a head they're dealing the damage to. Right, they have to choose a target, target player, and that's... Uh, or unless they, they pay the extra one to get the extra target in there. That's, yeah, that's true. And that, wasteful. Yeah, it is wasteful. So, I, I mean, I think part of the overall lesson here is just you kind of have to reread each card, and is it talking about you? Is it talking about, um, you know, each player? Uh, what it, what exactly does it mean? Because we, we, there's so many cards that work quote unquote differently in two headed giant. Yep. Some some are better, some are worse. Uh so just just read the cards. Uh don't necessarily as a judge and you get called over there, don't necessarily make the snap call that you would in constructed. Actually right. take a take a second to reevaluate the two headed giant context. Right. Um one thing I wanted to bring up was hexproof, because that, that was something I had to look up again for two headed giant and uh it actually works fine because Hexproof, you know, in my head says only I can target my stuff. But what it really means is your opponents can't target your stuff. So if my teammate has, uh, you know, if Bitty Kitty has a giant growth, she can giant growth my guys with Hexproof because she is not my opponent. Yep. So a lot of abilities got to be reevaluated. Extort works 
very well since you'll have each opponent lose a life but you'll gain two life yup uh yeah i don't really have too much more to say you know just 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 make sure to just reevaluate cards if something targets a player you know even though you're you have two people that are a team across from you you still choose a single target player okay so here here we go i've got i've got the the mind the mind bender of the of the mind bender okay okay um this this is this is one of those questions that like the guy who's like oh i just learned all about two at a giant i'm gonna show how smart i am and and you know blow your mind with something um how does biorhythm work in two at a giant what does Bio- this card even do biorhythm is six gg it's banned in edh i know and it's a sorcery <laughs> that says each player's life total becomes the number of creatures he or she controls and Bitty Kitty controls three creatures, and Milkshake controls six creatures. Uh, six? What happens? Well, who, which one is the active head? Which one is the primary head, rather? I Let's say Milkshake. It, it would be Milkshake. Would it be Milkshake? So, yeah. So B- milkshake, milkshake, primary, milkshake controls three creatures, and Bitty Kitty controls six? Uh, sure. Okay, so if Milkshake controls three creatures, then we go, the primary head will be the one that, that, uh, that does the thing first. Right. So it will become uh, uh, three and then because milkshake is the primary head and controls three creatures. And then we apply the effect to Bitty Kitty and their life total becomes six. Uh, I believe that is how it works. Now, it might not actually work that way, but that's how I believe it works. No, it's the here's the here's the fun one. So this is this is the if an effect would set the life total of each player on a team to a number that team chooses one of its member one of its members on that team only that player is affected. Oh, so six. So, so yes. I was right. So, so <laughs> you, could, you could choose three if you wanted. It's a valid choice. So you can actually bitty kitty or milkshake. You get to pick which one you want. And and that's what's gonna that'll that'll be what happens. You can choose whether Bitty Kitty or Milkshake. Hmm. I, I have a feeling that the the episode of this this the title of this episode is gonna work your cats into it, isn't it? I don't know. It's probably I'll put a, a nice cat fancy my, <laughs> my <laughs> cat fancy the gathering. On, a, on another episode, we can get into my uh, my rats names back from when I had rats. But that's another day. Okay, how about news? Let's let's get off of. Okay, news. We have a new regional coordinator in France. Brian, who is that regional coordinator? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> enough of your sass. Answer it. Bitty kitty. It's no, not bitty kitty. It's the milkshake. And what was the other one? Thunder, Battle cat. Battle cat. No, it's uh, Guillaume uh, Buzelin. See, the problem is, like, you get through the first name, you're like, oh, I made it. And then you hit the last name, you're like, oh, no. Oh, that's a lot of, that's a I lot of. I still don't know how to say this. That's a lot of consonants, or that's a lot of vowels. Vowels, yeah. Um, uh, so I'm going to say Guillaume Buzlin. Sure. Yeah. So congrats uh, he, to him. Yep. Congratulations, <laughs> Guillaume. I am so sorry we destroyed your name. <laughs> Very sorry. We're very sorry. How would you say that in Korean, Jess? What? <laughs> what? It doesn't work that way. <laughs> sure it does. I mean, I'd have to spell it in Korean, and in order to know that, I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it works that way. Okay, so uh, congratulations, uh, Guillaume. Uh, again, sorry about the name. All right. If you've been listening to this show, you'll know that we have a problem with pronouncing things. 
We would be awful at coverage. Yes, we would be awful at coverage. Hey, I'd give it my all, though. Yes, you would. I would at least attempt to pronounce it. <laughs> yes. All right. Biorhythm? Bio. Sense. Bi- uh, bio? Bio? Let's, let's hop into emails. You guys ready? I was born ready. All right, great. Our first one comes from Max Bender. He asks, he has four questions, but they're all pretty quick. If I grape shot, then I grape shot. Do the first copies count towards the second one storm count? No. No. Nope. Um, so uh, so if you cast if you cast grape shot and then you cast grape shot again, uh, those copies are the 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 storm copies of the first grape shot are put on the stack. They are not cast. So storm only cares about stuff that was cast um, at the time uh, the the grape shot spell was cast. So it's not like it's like I cast grape shot and then I cast a bunch of other spells and the storm trigger resolves and somehow it's going to count those spells I cast after the first grape shot. Follow savvy, 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 savvy mate. All right. All right. Question two. Does flash bashing flash bashing flash bashing? What? We're going to flash bash it. <laughs> flash bashing. Back down. Best punk. new mechanic of 2013. You're going to get flash bashed. It's where you you get to enter the battlefield at the speed of an instant and also fight something. <laughs> while, drinking, flash while drinking a Mountain Dew Code Red. <laughs> yes. Um, does flash backing a spell with another copy in the graveyard uh and having Pyromancer Ascension out, give it a counter. So counter. So Pyromancer Ascension has a trigger, which is whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell that has the same name as a card in your graveyard, you may put a quest counter on Pyromancer Ascension. So uh, I guess as long as there's another copy of that card, uh, that card is still in your graveyard. Yeah. So I think the real question here is flashback, flashbacking a spell, casting it, and <clears throat> flashbacking is literally casting a spell flashback gives you permission to cast the spell from your graveyard um he has another question i'll answer real quick because he says does flashbacking a spell count towards storm which is once again yes you are casting the spell from your graveyard so it counts towards your spells cast this turn uh his third question well the fourth one i'm reading is if i play a desperate ritual and splice onto it and have pyromancer center out cinching out with two counters does the copy add three or six man i shouldn't have read this one but i already said there were four questions this question's a little vague i think what he's getting at is does splicing change the name you know i don't know what he's getting at no it's it's i think he's asking if if he's if he's spliced if he's if he's spliced onto it okay so he's got his desperate desperate ritual uh let's hear he's got his desperate oh, okay, ritual, okay. and he's and he's spliced um uh, a what is it? If I play a desperate ritual and splice onto it, so he splices another desperate ritual onto it. I got it. And then we're talking about the copy that the ascension makes. And then the copy that the ascension makes is it going to give him the three red or the uh, or the six red? Okay. Okay. So which is <clears throat> so the copy was going to have all of the text of the the spell. So if you have a desperate ritual and you splice anything onto it and then you make a copy of that of that desperate ritual, you're going to get uh, uh, the 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 spliciness because that is that is something that's copyable. I love spliciness. The spliciness. All right. Next email comes from Adam Wilson. He says, hey, guys, still love the show. I like the still in there as if 
Oh. Any day now, we could mess up in such a way where he will no longer love the show. But for now... That's a distinct possibility. Maybe yeah. he hates cats, and this is just the last straw. <laughs> uh, it makes my days at work bearable when you put out a new cast. Anyway, enough sucking up. Can you use Pithing Needle to keep an opponent from using Nykthos' ability to keep give you mana equal to your devotion? I know Pithing Needle doesn't turn off mana abilities, but I am, sh- I am unsure if this ability is a mana ability or an activated one. So, a Pithing Needle, as it enters, you name a card, and activated abilities of sources with the chosen name can't be activated unless they're mana abilities. So, what's the deal with Nykthos, which, you know, was it, well, like, two mana uh, tap? The question that'll help us get to this answer is, what is a mana ability? What makes something a mana ability? Because there are things that make mana that aren't mana abilities. Is this one of them? I huh. don't know. Well, the let's... answer is, I'm sorry, go ahead. If you want to want to take it, Brian, go away with it. Well, I was, I was just going to pontificate for a bit, but if you want if so we're defining a mana ability. Okay. Um, so there are three things that make it, uh, that make, a, a an activated mana ability. Um, so we can, we can, ju- we can each take one. Okay. Okay. Um, not a loyalty ability. Cheater. Like, like Koth. Wahaha. <laughs> and Xenagos. And Xenagos. And Xenagos. Yep. Uh, okay. So I'll, I'll take the other one. It makes mana. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It. Okay, so we're saying what makes it a mana ability? So yeah. it could be what's a, the, tr- a the triggered record? ability. Uh, that activated ability. Uh, we're just talking activated, activated abilities. Oh, well then this wouldn't make it one, but it can't target. That doesn't right. make it, does it a mana It does not have a target. But that's it does one of the, not have that's a target. One the, that's one of the requirements. Yeah. So it doesn't so have a target, isn't a loyalty ability, and if it resolved, it could add mana to your mana pool. So here is the question. is is Does Xenagos meet all three of these criteria? No, I'm sorry, not Xenagos. Does Nykthos, <laughs> Nykthos meet all three of these criteria? And Nykthos says, two mana tap, choose a color, add to your mana pool an amount of mana that color of that color equal to your devotion to that color. So is it a loyalty ability? No. Does it target? No. Does it add mana to your mana pool? Yes. So, yes, that is yep. a mana ability. Yep. And that means Pithing Needle <clears throat> will not stop that ability. Nope. Right. Now, that the... pe- people from asking me this question on a near daily basis. <laughs> yep. So now a triggered mana ability is a mana ability that is a triggered ability that adds mana to your mana pool that doesn't, you know, that doesn't target that triggers off of an activated mana ability. Whoa, can you give me an example? Uh oh, I don't know. How about mana flare? So let's look at let's or whatever the new I didn't green think you'd go with mana flare. I mean, or yeah, not I was thinking like last, fertile ground. Like, I know last printed in fifth edition. <laughs> I'm old I mean, man. I know that when you started playing Magic, that mana flare was just the gleam in the eye of its designer. But I, mana flare I, was like the bomb when I started playing Magic. Like we all had to be playing mana flare. This is, this is one of those things that, you know, when they say, like, old people, they like the music from when they were a kid, and they don't like this newfangled music today. I don't like these newfangled cards. To, fine, I'll use your fertile ground. Yeah. Can last, I say one thing, last, though, to be fair? The first card that popped in my head was Wild Growth, and that hasn't been printed since 7th edition, so it's not like I'm much better. So fertile ground is whenever Enchanted Land is tapped for mana, its controller adds one mana of any color to its mana pool. So that's, that is an ability... That doesn't target, isn't a loyalty ability, and it's triggered off of an activated mana ability. Whenever an enchanted land is tapped for mana, that's that's the the, the activated uh, uh, mana ability. 
And if you think about it, you know, mana abilities, they don't use the stack. They resolve right away. If this did work like a normal mana, I mean, work like a normal trigger, you could respond to it, which seems kind of weird. Yeah, I actually have an example. It doesn't work that way. Um, there's a card I use in my sliver deck called Mana Echoes. And it says, whenever a creature enters the battlefield, you may add X to your mana pool, where X is the number of creatures you control that share a creature type with it. That is not a mana ability, and people can respond to that and lower the number of slivers they have. Yep, because it does not trigger off of an activated mana ability. Right. Okay, also, we have Deathrite Shaman. It's yeah. an activated ability that adds mana to your mana pool, but it has a target. No. No. Let's just hit all of them since we're talking about it. Uh, so Xenagos makes mana, but is a loyalty <laughs> ability? Well, I was going to talk about Chromatic Sphere real quick, oh. uh, which reads one tap, sacrifice Chromatic Sphere, add one mana to, of any color to your mana pool, draw a card. Uh, some people have a hard time believing that's a mana ability because it has you draw a card, but it doesn't break any of the rules we talked about. So that is, in fact, a mana ability, <laughs> even though you also draw a card. Yeah, let's not go into the weird stuff with, with <laughs> That's that. like the only one like that. It's too late. I already did. I know, but there's like other stuff. It's too deep, too deep. We'll talk about that later on our no. corner on our corner case podcast. Oh, I can't wait. Which we're never going to do. Corner case cast. Corner case cast. I mean, we might in a really weird situation that'll never come up. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> call me when it happens, right? Yeah, yeah. call me when it happens. <laughs> All right, no, next. no, really, because I'll, I'll need to be on the show. <laughs> next email is uh, from Kenneth Rock, which is a cool name. He says, hey, JudgeCast, my name is Kenny, and I'd like to thank you very much for what you're doing. I'm an avid listener, and I have two questions for you guys. Firstly, I had an interesting rules question come up in a game of Commander the other night. Aren't they all? The player to the right of the active player had a creature with Gift of Immortality on it. So that's the card that when the creature dies, um, you there's a triggered ability that returns the creature back into play. And then at the beginning of the next end step, you return Gift of Immortality back to play a- attached to that creature. The enchanted creature died, and with the gift's return to the battlefield trigger on the stack, the active player casts Necromancy as an instant, targeting the formerly, en- formerly enchanted creature. The question was, will Gift of Immortality Trigger return itself attached to the formerly enchanted creature at the beginning of the end step, even though Gift did not return that creature to the battlefield? So Necromancy doesn't really matter what it does. It just brings a creature from the graveyard back onto the battlefield. There's right. a lot going on here. Okay, so... Yes, player A had a bear cub with Gift on it. The bear cub died. Um, in response to the trigger to bring the bear cub back, player B uh, reanimated that creature, reanimated the bear cub. Okay, where does the gift come back? All right. Let's see. I got to look up gift of immortality now. Hold on. Feel free. Yeah, I tried to summarize it, but it occurs to me now it's specific wording matters. Okay. So what I understand is going to happen here is that gift of immortality has, has two triggered abilities that happen. The first one returns the creature and then sets up a delayed trigger, a delayed zone change trigger that that puts Gift of Immortality back on that creature, right? Okay, yeah, sounds right to me. Okay. Um, In response to the first trigger, we move it to the battlefield, which makes it a new object, and Gift of Immortality does not know that it is there and cannot find it, so it will stay in the graveyard. Yep. Sounds perfect. Uh, his other question was about becoming a level one, which is another one where we talk about contacting your regional coordinator. Uh, if you need to know who your regional coordinator is, you can find them on the Judge Wiki. 
Next, from Will Kirkwood. He's a guy I certified. Uh, he asked it to me directly, but I guess he didn't trust my answer. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. I don't know. Or maybe it's Brendan. He says, I asked this question I asked this question to CJ directly, but I'm interested in some more opinions, so he sends it to CJ. Hmm. Hmm. A friend of mine posed the question. After winning game one and round not one of a PTQ, he noticed he failed to de-sideboard from the previous round. He never drew a non-main deck card, but noticed after the game in sideboarding. Beside the obvious moral dilemma he faced, I am curious what your thoughts are about a penalty. Do you reverse the result of game one? Penalize a game two loss? No penalty? Does it matter if the player swears up, down, and sideways that they played an illegal deck? Um, so game two, he discovers a sideboard card that he did not sideboard in. Uh, I guess I assume while sideboarding for game two. Yeah. Right. Okay. So this is one of the... So this is weird because you could say an infraction has been committed and we need to, to, to penalize for it. However, there isn't an infraction that we have or can observe here. Um, so I, I mean, I would say thank you for your honesty. Make sure your deck is right. Play it correctly because not doing that on purpose could get you disqualified. So I'm very glad that you came up and said, this is what happened. And I'm sorry. Make sure you're doing it right from now on. And that's it. Yep. Yeah. And that's that's also what I told Will. Uh, you know, we can't we can't prove that he actually played game one with an illegal deck. You know, I mean, yeah, it could be very possible that he did. Um, all signs could point to that, but we can't actually prove it. And well, it's not necessarily about proving so much as observing. Yeah. Right. So okay. al yeah. Also, think think about think about this. Right. Um, let's say you commit a GRV. OK, you swing with a creature that you shouldn't be able to swing with. OK. Um, and you connect and the, your opponent dies and both are like, OK, game's over. You know, that game's over. And then you start playing game two and then you realize, oh, hey, you know, you're not going to you're not going to rewind. You're not going to recreate that game. That game is that game is done and over with. Um, in this particular case, the player has what's that? I was just going to say you tell the player not to swing that way. <laughs> yes, we don't swing that way. Um, so this is, this is kind of the same situation. Um, and the, we want the player to, to come up and tell us these things. Uh, it's good that he did tell us if he, if he, if he noticed it and kept it secret and kept it hidden, then that's, then that's a problem. Uh, but we want, I mean, judges are there for your benefit. So, you know, if you do something wrong, come up and talk to us. Um, in this particular thing, the game was over. Uh, so we're not gonna, we're not going to penalize you. This isn't like an unsporting conduct thing along those lines. So everyone agreed with me and he didn't need anyone but me is the point. Oh, is that that's, why you picked, is, this is why you picked this one. Yeah. He needed to know. Um, I think that it's totally fine to ask other judges for opinions. Uh, <laughs> of sometimes judges, even illustrious judges such as CJ Schrader. Yes. Also known as CJ Trader. Okay. Yes. Will uh, will sometimes make mistakes. Traitor uh, or traitor? I think it was traitor. I'm pretty sure it was traitor. I'm hearing you guys say the same word. Tra well, I said it with the D. Oh. Okay. okay. All right. Last question from Gabe Skepala. Skypala from Amarillo, Texas. He loves the show, and he thanks for the advice on how to be a successful judge when you are married and have kids. Oh, I guess, yeah, we sent that to him in a different email I, that we never read. Advice? I, I think B-Pril's advice was use the bathroom. <laughs> that was that was actually 
before we started recording. No, wasn't I'm pretty it? sure that was on the cast. Was what? Take your iPad to the bathroom and study there because everyone will leave you alone. Oh, when you're married and have kids? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they will. Yeah. <laughs> my cat okay. won't. Hey, I was playing EDH with my friend the other day and he had a Leonin Shikari, which has an ability that says you may activate equip abilities anytime you can cast an instant. Uh, two other creatures and he played a Lightning Greaves. He has an Azori Skilled Mage out and plenty of mana. In re- response to his equip trigger, I try to... I, he says swords. I assume swords to plowshares his uh, Shikari. Um, Lightning Greaves, by the way, has a zero mana equip ability, and it gives the creature Shroud. With that on the stack, he attempts to equip the Greaves to another creature. I use Guild Mage to prevent that from happening, and with the Guild Mage ability on the stack, he equips it again. My question is, can he move the Greaves around at liberty with an equip activation on the stack already, even to the same creature? Just shuffling the Greaves around at liberty as much as he wants in any way just seems wrong, but I think the answer is yes, because I could not find any rules in the comp rules that say otherwise since the Shikari gives the equip ability instant speed. Let me know what you guys think. So Gabe, Gabe Pillapala. Pillapala. Uh, Gabe Skypala. No, two Pilly, mana untap at one mana of any color. Do yes, yes. He's a, he is flying. an artifact creature scarecrow. Gabe, you're an artifact creature scarecrow. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so so uh, your instinct that it seems wrong is why? Uh, no, it's the you, you think the answer is yes, it is yes. Um, so the, the thing about equipping creatures at at instant speed, it is an ability that for zero, you know, equipped to target, you know, attached to target creature. Okay, so I try it and you counter it. I can try it again. Now, the the only thing that's kind of weird about um, uh, what is it? Lightning Greaves is it gives the creature shroud. So you can't try and equip the Greaves to itself because since equipping targets and the creature has uh, has shroud, it, it would be an illegal target. So you would actually have to move it. But yeah, I mean, if the guy's just like, I counter that activation, you're like, I activate it again. Okay, I counter that. I activate it again. Let's see. Uh, it costs you three mana to do it. It costs me zero mana to do it. Let's <laughs> see who runs out first. So, yep, you can just bounce, 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 bounce. Yeah, that's funny. I didn't, I didn't think about how it gave Shroud, so you couldn't try to equip it onto itself, even though that generally does nothing. Right. Yeah, and uh, now one of the one of the interesting things about equipping to itself, let's say this is some other equipment other than uh, something that gives it shroud. You can re-equip to itself. Okay, it just doesn't do anything really. I mean, the the equipment kind of stays where it is. It doesn't reattach. You do not recompute timestamps. That's actually why people would try and do it. Like they've got a. Uh, you know, an effect that gives, uh, uh, you know, makes their creature something or gives their creature a certain power and toughness, and then they want to re-equip it to change the timestamp, that doesn't actually work. Yeah, you have to physically, you have to make it equipped to another creature and then equip it back. Right. Now, when you, normally when a creature becomes equipped, it gets the the those bonuses or those abilities at that timestamp, but there's a special rule that says, hey, if you do this type of shenanigans again, the timestamps don't change. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's because it, I mean, it doesn't actually become equipped again, though. So Right. It doesn't actually go anywhere. I mean, the ability resolves and the equipment just kind of like, eh, I'm still eh, here. Eh, I'm, I'm already here. here. I'm yeah. already here. Yeah. Okay. I think that's all there is to say about that. All right. If you want to email us, uh, particularly if you have any two-headed giant questions, I, th- I think it might be cool to answer a few of those. Um, at least I do. Uh, you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com. You can also, of course, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast. 
All right, you guys have anything else you want to add before we we wrap this bad boy up? No. No. Well, I guess I can go feed my cats. All right, thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you all are very successful at your two-headed giant tournaments now, and I hope you can all nail those two-headed giant questions on on the L1 practice test. I I hate seeing people be like, oh, man, I only failed because I missed these three two-headed giant questions. I was like, I mean, honestly, two-headed giant takes like 15, 20 minutes to learn. It's really not that bad. And you didn't didn't fail because of just a a two-headed giant question. There was a large number of other questions that you missed as well. For for the record, when I took my level one exam, I missed all of the two-headed giant questions and passed the exam. I missed all of the match point penalty questions and passed the exam. I still don't know what those are. Yeah. Those no longer exist. I know. They stopped existing like the following week. (laughs) It's like, uh. (laughs) Anyway, uh, thanks everybody for listening. My name is CJ Schrader. I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. I'm Brian Frillman. I keep it splicey. You want me to you want me to make it pancake related? Nope. Okay. We're we're one take judge guest. Fine.